0: The Enneagram kind of makes us focus inward of like, oh, wait, how am I affecting the other person actually? And how does my behavior and my core fears and desires show up to empower or hurt my partner or hurt my friend or hurt a family member? And so I feel like overall, it just provides this really incredible and unique understanding and empathy within relationships. (laughs)
1: Welcome to the Whiskey and Lemon Podcast. I'm your host, Lana Mercedes, And I'm your guest, Christina Wilcox. Christina is the author of the book, Take Care of Your Type, an Enneagram Guide to Self-Care, which you can purchase or pre-order on her website at ChristinaSWilcox.com. Welcome to the show, Christina. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Yay! I- Yeah, I found out about the Enneagram and I'm just like, I dive into all the information and I know there's a lot of mixed information out of there. So I'm really Mm -hmm. happy to just have someone on there that knows what they're talking about and teach everyone about it.
0: Sweet. I'm so excited and so um, honored that you chose me for your launch. It's so exciting and I'm happy to be a part
1: of it. Awesome. Okay, so I want to jump right into and ask you, how did you become involved with the Enneagram?
0: Yeah, it's kind of a... Really random story. I've always been super into like mental health advocacy, psychology, understanding like trauma, understanding the brain and the body, like related to trauma. And so I've always kind of been super intrigued by personality and how people work, how they're wired, what makes them different, what makes us the same. And so I was super obsessed with like the Myers Briggs and all of these other personality. Mm tests and I actually had a friend introduce me to the Enneagram and I kind of just lost my mind. I became obsessed (laughs) with it and I sort of became known in my community as being like the Enneagram girl kind of because I would make strangers take this test. Like I did not care who you were how well I knew you, like we could be meeting for the first time. And I just was that really cringy person who was like, so what's your Enneagram number? <laughs> um, you make
1: me feel a lot better about just sending it to a few friends. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> of
0: course. It's so exciting whenever not only you figure out your type, but you figure out your friends type too and your family's types. It's so yeah.
1: Cool.
0: And so I just kind of um, fell in love with it. And I was kind of in a job that was Super creatively stifling. There's a lot of pretty toxic things going on in the work environment I was in. And I just started creating Enneagram graphics for fun. I don't know if you know the account Enneagram and Coffee, but it was like just around the time don't. she exploded. Like within two weeks, she had like 500,000 followers. Like she wow. literally just exploded. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's really cool. I'm, I'll i do it too, kind of, because I'm really bored and I want to do something that's creatively, um, I don't know, energizing for me. And right. within eight weeks, I went from 800 followers to 30,000. And then I just kind of kept rolling with it as yeah. more people kept coming and I changed jobs. And that's kind of how I got involved with the Enneagram and kind of where I am now. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's awesome because it sounds like it's something that, like you said, energized you. So when you're focused on just what makes you happy and what intrigues you, you're not, you're not focused on your following. You're focused on your craft and then the following just starts coming in. When you're focused on the following is when you're not really accomplishing anything.
0: For sure. Totally.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I also want to know too, so when you said that you would just send all these tests to your friends, was it more like, hey, you have to know about this information It's good for you too? Or were you like intrigued and then trying to, you know, maybe compare it to how you know them and like how you would apply it in different ways? Yeah, I feel like it depended
0: on the person because there were some friends that I felt like, you know, I knew really well. And so it was like, oh my gosh, I kind of, you're not supposed to like type other people but mm-hmm. i just was like i kind of want to see if i'm right like what i'm thinking <laughs> yeah. is right um and then there were other i do the same friends, thing yeah yeah <laughs> and so uh, then there were other friends and family members that i was like i am so confused by your personality and i want answers <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> right so it just kind of depended on my relationship with the person for sure for strangers it was just because i was i don't know i thought it was fun
1: <laughs> yeah so for people that have taken the test, they get their number, what do you say to those that get the result and they're like, that's not me at all?
0: Yeah, I think for a lot of people, um, there's a little bit of a danger in taking the test because as I learned more about the Enneagram, I realized what like a sacred system it is and how mm-hmm. truly life-changing it can be if you do it right and authentically. Mm-hmm. And so I think the dangers in taking a test is not only getting a number that you don't agree with, um, but also a lot of people take the test and get multiple numbers and like from multiple different sources or multiple different sites. And then they think that there are a bunch of different types and they haven't actually looked at the core desires and fears of each Enneagram number, because you can take all the tests that you want, but if you don't relate to the core desires and fears of that number, Um, Then you're not that type. So um, I would say if someone doesn't feel like they relate to the type that they got on the test, to just really dig into the core desires and fears of each type and see which one's kind of like, see which one kind of offends you a little bit. Um, I've noticed that (laughs) it's like when you (laughs) figure out, yeah, when you figure out your core desire and fear, it's like validating, hurtful and a
1: bunch of different emotions at once. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, that's actually a really good way to put it because I know like I've taken the test obviously as I'm sending it to all my friends and I don't think I ever took a test that just hit the nail on the head more than the Enneagram. Yeah. So then, you know, I'm reading like you said all the desires and fears and I'm I think I'm like a very self-aware like, you know, I'm just like to get involved in, you know, the emotional intelligence, social behavior and all that. Yeah. So I I know what my triggers can be. Like, I'm aware of those things. And sometimes we know those triggers and we don't want to admit them, you know, maybe in conflict, but we know deep down what they are. Yeah. I'm reading it and it says like, oh, you do this thing. I'm like, yes. And when I was seven years old, it caused like, it's all kind of adding up. Yeah. (laughs) For sure. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. So what about someone who, you know, like you said, if they don't relate to any desires or fears, is there, are these more like the primary numbers? Like what if someone takes the test and they don't feel like they're any of these numbers?
0: Yeah, so I would say um, I actually get a lot of people who say like, I don't feel like I'm any number Mm -hmm. or I feel like I'm all the numbers. And the first thing, yeah, the first thing I would say is technically we have all nine numbers within our personality. Like that's kind of the science of it, but you're dominant in one. So it's Got okay it. to relate to other parts of numbers. Like it's no need for an identity crisis. Yeah, Everything's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I would also say to someone who doesn't feel like they're any of the numbers, there's a very high chance you're a four, um, which is the individualist. And the okay. individualists are primarily like, we can get into this later, but they're the most concerned with like being significant and understood. Um, and so they Got kind it. of opt to like, no one gets me a little bit. And so I found that most people who don't
1: summarize me in a number kind of thing, exactly.
0: Um, but also I would say if you're just like really struggling and all the numbers are starting to get mushed together and you're like, I don't even know, then take a break. Um, yeah, it's so important going into any type of like self discovery journey to take time to actually become self-aware And yes, the Enneagram can help you do that, but there's a whole bunch of other, there's a bunch of other work you can do to become more self-aware. So the Enneagram is even more helpful. Um, So Mm -hmm. I would just say like, take a step back, take a break from it for a month or two and just live your life, become more self-aware and then come back to it when you feel ready.
1: Okay, and is that maybe why I know you said some people will take the test and they will get a bunch of different numbers. Mm-hmm. but since it's possible um, that we are all these numbers and we have a dominant one mm-hmm. is that the reason are we maybe changing and doing the work and maybe why someone could have a four now and then be a seven in like a year? Sort of, so I personally
0: think that you are one number, like you don't ever okay. change numbers, but okay, with the Enneagram and what kind of makes it so complex is when you are that like dominant in one number, when you're growing and healthy, you take on qualities of a different number. So for like one, when they're growing, they can take on qualities of a seven. Um, And then ones when they're in a state of unhealthiness and fear and stress and not being self-aware at all, they can take on qualities of a four the negative qualities of a four and so there are all these you can mistype as your stress number or growth number depending on what season of life that you're in and your level of health as a person so that can also be a huge reason and also there's wings to each number um and you can sometimes misidentify as your wing instead of your dominant number so there's a whole lot of different things
1: (laughs) Yeah. I'm actually glad that you mentioned that because that is the next question that I have. I want to know like, what are the wings? How do you get them? I've heard some people say it's just like your second highest number. Some people say it's the number before and after your number. I've heard so many different things.
0: Yes. So the wing is the two numbers to the, to the left and right of your number. So if you're a okay. six, um, it's six wing five or six wing seven.
1: Um, it's either or, so it's not like five and seven.
0: Yeah, well you can you can move throughout both, like you can be a six wing five in one season of life and a six-wing seven in a different season of life. Got it. Um but yeah, your number like you can't be a two-wing seven. Um okay. and you yeah, those wings also greatly determine a lot about how you show up as your type um, because some wings are have a tendency to be more introverted or reserved. Other wings have a tendency to be more outgoing or adventurous. And so it's kind of what I like about the Enneagram and what I think a lot of people misunderstand as like any personality test is going to be putting you in a box, you know, like you kind yeah. of have to go into that mindset of like, okay, this is going to be putting me in a box kind of, but what yeah. I like with the Enneagram, it's a very big box and there's a lot more mm-hmm. like things you can dive into. And once you feel like you have an understanding of one part of it, a whole other part of it opens up. And so it's kind yeah. of like a never
1: ending. It's very of, fluid. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um And so what? what is the I know you sit in different seasons, you can have, maybe you're a six, five or a six wing seven. Um, what is the relevance of the wing? How does that, how do you, because obviously they each have their own desires and fears. What is mm-hmm. the relevance? Like, why is it not just the number?
0: For sure. And there are seasons of like, I've known people that sometimes they're just like a straight eight um, and there's no like it all, that's kind of like the purpose of the numbers of just like in different seasons of life. I often kind of talk about it as like a bird that's flying. Like if the wind is blowing a certain way, they're going to lean into one wing more so that they can survive. (laughs) And in other times, the wind will be blowing in a different way, like right or left. And so it just kind of depends on your season of life. Your analogies are spot on. (laughs) Yay, I'm so glad. But um, (laughs) they one thing that I've noticed for myself and even some friends of mine is there can even be a wing that you gravitate towards when you're not healthy. Um, Or like when you're growing, you have a tendency to take on qualities of this. You tend to lean into this wing a little bit more, but everybody's different. And so there are some people too that I know that they are like five wing four and they have been five wing four for the past Five years, and they will be their whole life. You know what I mean. So it's like everybody's different.
1: Okay. And then, would you say? Because um, I know you said that a lot of them are more putting you into a box. This one is more fluidity, or mm-hmm. has more fluidity. Um, would you classify it as a personality assessment, or just more allowing people to understand like why they do certain things? Yeah.
0: No, that's a really good question. I think yes and no. Because I think in the westernized millennial version of the Enneagram, it's a personality (laughs) test. Okay. Um, But from the roots of how it began, it was meant to be um, something that you like walked through with a mentor and your type was like a secret. And it was very sacred. Okay. and it was like for the purpose of healing from childhood trauma like that was the essential purpose of why the system was created is so that people could kind of deal with childhood wounds and people who wanted to go on a really intense journey towards self discovery and self awareness um they would use the enneagram to do that with like a mentor um and so yeah. um and so i think even even though I would classify the Enneagram now in its like westernized state as a personality test, it still is drastically different from modern personality typing systems um, mm-hmm. because it's not solely rooted into like analyzing your behavior, but it's goes deeper than that and it goes yeah. into your core desires and fears, um, the different levels of health we can all fluctuate between. And there are also calls to improvement in action. And that's what I really love about it um, is that, especially like um, even in educational Enneagram books and even in the book that um, I wrote, it's how I view the Enneagram is when you discover it and you go on the journey with it, eventually you should be able to walk away. You know, like I think that there's an... Um, and that's kind of like what makes it different too, is just like, it's supposed to be like a bridge to help you get to the other side of something and then you can like move forward. Um, okay. And so I think too, it's like, now I'm just rambling, but it's, it's fun because (laughs) I think too, like. With other personality tests, we're like – and even with the Enneagram, people have a tendency to be like, oh, look, there's a seven. Oh, look, there's a two. Oh, look, there's this number. Mm -hmm. And what's beautiful about the Enneagram and why it was such a sacred practice is typing someone is kind of useless because you don't know the core desires that are going through them internally through their actions. And so, yes, Mm -hmm. they can very much be showing up in the world as a seven, but they – In reality, could actually be a one who's really incredibly healthy. And so it's just like, they're, I don't know, it just, my whole, like, I guess, brand and life motto is assume less, love more. And I think that the Enneagram is such a great way to do that because even when you do try and type other people or assume things about other people, even just in general in life, you can be completely wrong. And the Enneagram proves that in a really deep way.
1: Yeah, that's really true. There's a lot of of judgment. And that's why I like that you mentioned too, that it all started with mental health because people will just right off the back, judge someone that they're maybe acting out a certain time. It's like, you have no idea what their day could have just, you know, been like. Totally. Yeah. Or, you know, sometimes people, I know I, I can do that depending if I'm around, you know, friends or, um, work that I might have a different type of like aura about me based on who I'm around like mm-hmm. I'm going to be a lot more reserved and you know just rigid and like straight to the point when I'm at work and then I'm just a ball of energy around my friends and family and then if I'm at home I'm just like this is my you know my me time and people can yeah. just automatically be like oh well she's totally she's anti-social blah 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 and it's like well I'm at work so it's a different you know thing totally yeah. totally God. agree that's awesome so how can someone use the Enneagram to help them become a better friend or you know, relative, partner in a relationship? For sure.
0: I think um, whether it's a familial relationship, romantic relationship, platonic work relationship, whatever it is, I think as people in conflict and in assumption of another person's behavior, we kind of always view how someone else is affecting us mm-hmm. and like what they're doing to affect us or what they're doing to make us upset or what so, so-and-so is doing to um, aggravate us. And I think what makes the Enneagram so powerful within any type of relationship is it gives you the lens of not only understanding where that person is coming from on an extremely deep level Mm-hmm. Um, and not justifying their behavior in any means, but it just provides empathy and understanding and grace mm-hmm. for yourself and clarity for them, clarity for you. Um, and it gives a path to move forward, I think, in any sort of disagreement or just in any relationship, even in a positive way of learning, like, oh, because um, this friend or spouse or partner or whoever. Um, is this Enneagram type and they like these certain things. I can love them really well in that. And I think, um, in the opposite way too, since we're always kind of shifting the blame, the Enneagram kind of makes us focus inward of like, oh wait, how am I affecting the other person actually? And how does my behavior and my core fears and desires show up to, you know, either, Um, empower or hurt my partner or hurt my friend or hurt a family member. And so I feel like overall, it just provides this really incredible and unique understanding and empathy within relationships.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, because we often, like you said it kind of goes back to the whole typing someone or the yeah. reason why they're doing that or the reason why, you know, they're probably affecting this relationship in this negative way. And it's like, well, wait, how am I also doing it? Cause we, yeah. we know no one's perfect. So we shouldn't then look at the conflict as we're the perfect ones. Right. In that situation. Exactly. Yeah. For sure. So I've heard something more recently, um, the Enneagram triad, I'm not too familiar with it. So can you explain mm. kind of how that fits into the Enneagram?
0: Yes. Yeah, so the Enneagram, they're called triads. And so okay. what, um, what those are is there are three Enneagram triads. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the first one is called the body or gut triad, um, which um, includes numbers one, eight, and nine. And okay. so those three numbers are more physical people, more driven by anger and justice, Um, for ones that anger kind of shows up as frustration for eights it just shows up as anger Um, and for nines they're actually suppressing actively suppressing their anger Um, but they are the most connected to their body Um, the second triad is the mind triad so the head triad and they're um, kind of driven by fear um, and that includes fives, sixes, and sevens. Um, For fives, it's for they gather all the knowledge they can. They're very in their head people. For sixes, it's they want to be prepared and they want to be planning and they want to have answers and they want just they're very good problem solvers and they kind of work out their fear through creating stability and structure in their relationships and in their lives. And then for sevens, they work against that fear by doing whatever the heck they want. And life is Mm -hmm. short and I got to live it to the fullest. Um, The last triad is um, the two, three, and four like number grouping. And they're in the heart triad. And they're the most image conscious triad. They're the most driven by shame. Um, So twos um, actively work against their shame by being helpful and by showing okay. up for others and by sacrificing their needs, um, by working to be indispensable and irreplaceable in relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, for threes, they work against that fear by being the best at whatever it is that they do. Um, they wanna be successful, they wanna be valuable, they wanna be important, and they kind of work through their shame by r- racking up almost even like it could be whatever accomplishment physical relational whatever the accomplishments are there they work through their shame by being accomplishment driven and fours um experience life in a very emotional artistic and heavy way and they deal with shame by feeling as though there's something lacking in themselves that everybody else has mm-hmm. and they can't seem to find it so their life they work through their shame by longing for things and longing for um, growth in themselves, for longing for even like wonder and beauty and perfection and pain and the mix Mm -hmm. of it all. And they kind of like deal with their shame through self-expression. So those are the triads. Um, It kind of helps narrow down too, if you're completely (laughs) unsure what your Enneagram type is. Um, Figuring out which triad you're in really also helps narrows it down for you as well.
1: Right. Because you're never going to be one number and then be in a different triad outside of that, right? You're always going to be within that group. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So since the Enneagram does play more on our motivations and our fears, how do the triads fit in? Like, How does that teach us more about ourselves?
0: For sure. I think it kind of just provides a level, level of death, death. Yep. It provides a level of death, (laughs) a (laughs) level of, um, depth, um, to where, you know, figuring out, wait, um, am I a very like gut driven person? Am I very justice oriented or am I very in my head? Am I running away or planning for fears that I have? Or, am I image conscious and a little ashamed of who I really am? So I try and do and identify with different things to cope with that. Um, And so it kind of like just helps you also, I think, understand where you're coming from within your number, but also helping you understand where others are coming from, if they're in a different triad than you of like, say, a relationship between a three and an eight, like they're going to be very aggressive and hardworking people. But they're the way that they're going about going to go about it is completely different, not just because of the core desires, but because like threes are driven by shame and eights are driven by like, anger and resentment. So there's like, it just allows you to understand things in a way that I think we didn't have language for for a long time
1: okay perfect so now that we have all this great background information i want to jump right into the enneagram so people can go and take the test if they haven't already and then understand a little bit more about their number yay
0: There are nine different enneagram types, and you discover your type by figuring out which core desire and fear most accurately expresses your internal world, as we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, self-awareness is very helpful when discovering your Enneagram type, because again, it's not about defining your behavior, but understanding what's going on inside based on things that have happened to you in your life based on how you're naturally wired. Right. Um, so I'm just gonna go through the types one through nine. Okay. Um, so the Enneagram one is the perfectionist or reformer. In my book, I actually call the one the idealist, which isn't typical Enneagram language.
1: Okay.
0: Um, but I believe that more than perfection, any they do desire perfection. But Enneagram ones want the ideal situation, ideal scenario, ideal efficiency, ideal everything. Um, however they define their idealism um, they're run by that desire and so they want to be good balanced honorable they want to have integrity and their core fears in life are being bad um, wrong corrupted or defective
1: Um, so I'm guessing that um correct me if I'm wrong. The perfectionist is maybe maybe using perfect as more of a general term versus ideal is more like what's gonna be ideal for them in every circumstance, right?
0: Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um and so ones have an intense inner critic inside of them that is mm-hmm. constantly um critiquing their every move they make, the efficiency of the move, the morality of what they're doing. They're constantly, they just have this little voice inside them, constantly correcting them and yelling at them. Um, and so a lot of ones identify with that. And if you have that inner critic, you are most likely a one or have a one wing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so the next number, Enneagram two, they're referred to as the helper. Okay. Um, they are incredibly warm-hearted and sacrificial individuals. Um, they are the friends that remember every birthday. Um, they are incredibly hospitable people, whether they're introverted and or extroverted. They enjoy relationships and community and providing a safe place for people they love. And they mm-hmm. have a really big heart for... Just helping people, helping the world in any capacity that they can. And so their core desires are to be worthy of love, to be wanted, and to be irreplaceable in the lives of others. Their core fears are being unworthy of love, replaceable, and being unwanted. And so okay. helpers have a tendency to use this incredibly good natured part of them um, to kind of make themselves indispensable in relationships. Um, they are not very good at addressing their own needs or talking about their own needs. And mm-hmm. when they don't know what to do with that, they just continue to help others until one day they just kind of explode <laughs> a little bit and they need someone else to help them. And they, the, the kind of like journey of the two is the learning to identify as themselves apart from their relationships mm-hmm. and seeing what they have to offer as who they are, not just like how they can help people. Okay. Um, so that's kind of the, oh yeah,
1: go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say so would the two maybe oftentimes be like that strong person who never lets anyone be there for them, but is always just there for other people? And then that yes. strong person is then lacking support because they don't, they're like, Oh no, I'm fine. Let me help you.
0: Yes. Yes. That's very, that's very two behavior for sure. Okay. Um, so the next number is three, um, and they're called the achiever. They're incredibly adaptable and success oriented individuals. They're, um, motivated by the desire to be the best. Um, they want to succeed in life. They have the ability to kind of, walk into a room and become whoever is needed um and whoever would be most successful or valuable. And so if threes aren't careful, they can kind of become a little inauthentic and detached from who they really are because yeah. they want to be impressive and they okay. want to be um important. And so their core desires are to be valuable, successful, worthwhile and important. Um, their core fears are of being worthless humiliated, unimportant or seen as a loser. Um okay. so for threes it's very important on the surface level to be to have a lot of accomplishments and to be very successful in whatever it is that they define as successful. You know, not all threes are like these CEO businessmen yeah. people. Even within their focus on success could be within relationships. Like
1: it's okay. just that
0: desire for success when Really what they're desiring is to show up with someone in the world as themselves fully and knowing that they can be loved without doing anything to earn it. They believe that love is earned through accomplishments, that value is earned through accomplishments. Got it. And so their work is understanding that I can just be me. And even if I stopped doing everything that I Am involved in today. I'm still loved. Mm-hmm. Um, so okay. that's kind of their work. Got it. Um, next number, the four. The individualist fours are kind of stereotypically put into this like creative, artsy, edgy, angsty type of person. Mm-hmm. Um, where not all fours are painters and singer-songwriters and like all these artsy people. Um, they do have a connection to the arts usually whether or not they would define themselves as creative quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, but they love the dramatic. There's, there's a little bit of, there's something beautiful about sadness in a way. Um, they have a tendency to be very in their thoughts and feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, they care very deeply for people. Um, They make incredible advocates for whatever they're passionate about. They're very passionate people. Okay. Um, And so their desire is to be themselves and to discover what makes them significant. And their core fears are being meaningless, living meaninglessly, being without an identity, having no personal significance, and being ordinary. So for fours, they kind of use what makes them different as their identity because they feel as though there's something lacking, like, in themselves, like, something essential is lacking in them that everyone else has, so I'm going to identify this thing with this thing that, even though I'm ashamed of it, it makes me starkly different from, you know, everyone else around me, Um, but they have
1: yeah what's your question which which this is the one too that you said right if they start looking and saying like I'm none of these that you can't put me in this box this is the one you said that most likely are yes okay Mm -hmm. yeah
0: yeah and they are um they want to be understood by people but they also don't them they're just a very complex number um okay they're very emotions driven as well and they're kind of inner work is realizing that there's nothing wrong with them. Um it's just realizing you're there's nothing wrong with being normal and you actually are normal. Like there's nothing wrong with you. You Mm -hmm. feel very deeply and you experience the world in a unique way and you can still be significant in that but like you're normal and people love you and you can be yourself and accepted for who you are.
1: Yeah.
0: Um so that's the four. Yeah. Um, the Enneagram 5, um, the observer, as I call it in my book, um, it's also very widely known as the investigator. Enneagram 5s are usually the most introverted number on the Enneagram, but that's not always the case. Okay. Um, they have an unquenchable thirst for knowledge. They want to understand everything to the deepest level you could possibly think
1: of. Um, And does that mean know everything about everything or just know every detail about certain things or is it just not that specific?
0: It depends on the five. For some fives, I feel like it's... But, you know, for each five though, I think that there is a general craving for knowledge no matter what it is. So most Mm. fives that you meet, know a lot. They're very intellectual and they can usually start talking about like very niche subjects and know a lot about those niche subjects. All right. um, but they're very smart. Um, they can be pretty academic as well. Um, but they also, um, they're also very, they can come across as a little detached um some people have said that are fives that people have described them as cold. Um, even though that that's not really who they are. They just, yeah. they have the hardest time staying active and present in life because of how much life drains them.
1: Um, Trying it, to take in all this information. Yes. And yeah. so
0: things that are, they are, I think out of all the Enneagram numbers, Enneagram fives and nines have their energy depleted the fastest by normal life. Got it. And so fives core desires um, to be self-reliant, capable, competent, and useful. Their core fears are of being useless, dependent, helpless, incapable, and depleted. So fives want to the reason why they want to possess whatever knowledge that they're searching for or um, become very good at what they do or be accurate all the time is because they have this fear that they're not actually capable and they're not actually competent
1: and that they're a
0: burden. They often feel like a burden to other people. So they just try and stick to their own thing. I'm going to protect myself and my energy, do what I'm supposed to do. And then they, they also can, they're the most likely to become a little self isolated. Mm. Um, they can go days or weeks without people usually and be totally fine.
1: Wow. Okay. Um,
0: and so, yeah, their journey is kind of understanding that even if I don't possess this information or knowledge or skill or whatever it is, um, I'm not a burden and I can still show up in the world. And even though, yes, I might de- be depleted, and the world is draining, um, showing up is still
1: worth it. I wonder if this is a common number for, say, you know, people like history teachers or scientists, you know, it's like yes. taking all this information, be alone and focus on my craft. Yeah,
0: for sure. There's, um, there's actually a study where Albert Einstein, they're pretty sure was a five ah. for sure. Okay. And so lots of intellectual inventors mm-hmm. and I mean, any any Enneagram number could be in any field you could imagine. Like a five could be a barista and they're obsessed (laughs) with making coffee. Like it doesn't, doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, yeah, they're, they do have, um, even if they're not involved in the field that you would picture them in, fives will be interested in everything and find everything fascinating.
1: Got it. Okay. Yeah.
0: So, next number is the six, which is the loyalist. Um, the sixes are the glue to society, man. They are, are <laughs> grounded friends. They are, they care the most about the common good more than any other number. Okay. Um, they're very humane. Um, they care very deeply, um, and they want to be prepared and, um, Just, they want to belong to something bigger than themselves. Right. Um, And so their core desires is to have support, guidance, and belonging. And their core fears are being uncertain, without stability, being in danger, and being without reassurance. So for sixes, their work and their hardest, like, obstacle is learning to trust themselves. Sixes, similarly to ones, how ones have an inner critic that's constantly like questioning and correcting them. Mm-hmm. Sixes have a inner committee of voices. Okay. Um, and so they have a hard time trusting themselves because they are constantly evaluating what could potentially happen in any circumstance. Like they are the classic overthinkers that you could imagine when they are faced with a decision. They have a thousand different opinions and voices going on in their head and they usually seek counsel outside of that Mm -hmm. um, to kind of help them make a decision. They're very complex. It's like, I don't want to be dependent on anyone, but also I'm terrified to be alone. So please let me be dependent on you. Or yeah. I want to make this decision by myself, and I don't want you to make it for me, but also tell me what to do. Like uh, they're just very contradictory and indecisive. Yeah, um, they can often think in worst-case scenarios. So like the stereotype of the six is that they constantly have like a mom bag with chapstick, <laughs> first aid kit, got it, gloves. Like I mean it sixes are great for a global pandemic like they've been prepared for years yeah um and they're saying i told you guys um but we, we if we get to this really bad point like we know who to look for yes exactly <laughs> um but sixes i think even more than that they desire within their relationships safety and security mm-hmm. they just want to feel loved and safe and the work of the six like I said, is to learn how to trust themselves, that even in the midst of all of the voices and opinions and overwhelming aspects of life and relationships, and am I doing the right thing? I don't know what to do. Am I even capable of doing this of just trusting yourself? Man. And being like, you know what, Even if I'm not prepared in the way that I should have been, or even if all these things don't work out, the way I want to, even if everything changes, like I can still trust myself and I will be okay. Okay. Um, so that's kind of the work of the six. Yeah. Um, sevens, they're called the enthusiast. Sevens are probably to everyone. Every time I talk about a seven, to people who have never done the Enneagram, they're like, oh, so they're like the funnest people. (laughs) And I was like, yes, I would say on a very like surface basic level, sevens are the life of the party. They're the jokesters and adventurers, and they're usually pretty outgoing, even if they're introverted. They, Mm. They love laughing. They love having fun. They love having a good time and however they define that.
1: I'm automatically um, thinking of like the class clown.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly, very yeah. much so. Yeah. Um, yeah. So sevens, their core desire, um, they want to be free, fulfilled, unlimited, content, and taken care of. And their core fears are of being deprived of opportunity and adventure, being trapped or stuck in pain, being without care. Um. So to make kind of like a contrast. For threes, how I mentioned how they're very accomplishment-driven, mm-hmm. sevens are very experience-driven. So, like, at the end of a three's life, Got it. they want to know they made an impact. At the end okay. of a seven's life, they want to know that they experienced life to the fullest, that they mm. did not miss out on anything. They suffer greatly from FOMO. Um, <laughs> yeah. They want to experience all the foods all the things the world has to offer, all the relationships, all the things. So
1: um, maybe, you know, bungee jumping, skydiving here, but sounds like they could also be like the best travel partner in the same time. Yes,
0: totally, totally. They're down for anything. Um, But they're also, I would say most of the sevens I know are also incredibly intellectual and curious and passionate. Mm -hmm. Um, But their life's work is... Being understanding that they can be taken care of. So for sevens, they're often the happiest and bubbliest person in the room because they were taught that they had to be. Um, That letting down the wall of experiencing the full range of emotion, not just the happy ones and being okay with pain and knowing that they won't get stuck in that pain yeah. and knowing that, oh, I can also ask for help in that pain and open up to others in that pain is kind of their life's work of understanding too within experiences that some of the greatest experiences in life are when you're rooted and committed and settled down. And that not all experiences and living life to the full means being a nomad and doing whatever you want all the time. Like sometimes that commitment and stability and richness is a huge part of what makes life worth it. And so for them, it's learning that contentment and satisfaction and care not only can come from the people that are directly with them, but also within themselves.
1: Okay. That makes sense. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So then last two numbers, um, the eight is the challenger um eights walk into the room and you know that they're there like they just have this is
1: actually my number so i'm very interested to see what yes that's (laughs) awesome
0: okay so they walk into a room and you know that they're there they are they just have a presence and air of confidence around them okay um they are very self-assured people they're confrontational usually um they don't really even though they may not enjoy conflict, they're going to go resolve it whether or not they want to. They're always the person to like make the first step of like, "Yeah, no, I don't agree with that. Or, hey, it looks like you're upset. We need to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're always moving forward. Um, they don't like to be held back by anything. They don't like to dwell on anything. They just want to keep moving. Um, and their core desires are to be in control of their own life and destiny to protect themselves and those they love. Their core fears are of being at the mercy or control of another, being harmed or taken advantage of, being weak. Yeah. Um, so AIDS, so you're like, that me? <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, so my dad is actually also an AIDS. Okay. Um, and he, what I've noticed with AIDS is it's not, um, a lot of people can kind of mistake them for control freaks. And don't get me wrong. They love control. It's love to be in control, <laughs> but it's not out of the desire to be in control that they're working. It's, they don't want anyone else to control them. So mm-hmm. they are going to do whatever they can to make sure that doesn't happen
1: because mm-hmm.
0: they don't want anyone else determining what they're doing with their life, time, energy. Like, it's my decision.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm like, um, I don't want to lose myself and like you choosing what I'm going to do. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yes, exactly. Um, and so there in eight's life, life's work as well is understanding um, that vulnerability and weakness is actually strong. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to show those vulnerabilities within yourself and to other people that you don't always have to be this pillar of strength. Yeah. Um, and that sometimes life does happen and people happen and you will be at the mercy of that sometimes. And that doesn't mean you failed. That doesn't mean you're not strong. Um, it just means you're human living life, you know? And so understanding and being open about those more vulnerable aspects of their emotional experience is difficult for eights. But once they find people they trust and find that that doing that doesn't make them weak, um, Mm -hmm. it can really change their life. Um, I'm interested
1: to see to hear more about nine as well, because although I can be seven at times, I'm kind of feeling like maybe I'm going to be like that eight wing nine, depending on what it is, because I know that I have that, you know, sometimes I just don't want to show emotion. But I also know, like you said, being able to show that is strong. So there's Mm sometimes where I am just a ball of tears. Like I can, there's moments I want to be really strong. And there's other times where if you and I are having a deep conversation and it's just so compelling to me, like I'm crying. Like I just feel so yes. touched by your story. I'm crying because I want to, you know, solve conflict, like you said, with someone. So I'm really interested mm-hmm. to see what the last one is.
0: Yes, for sure. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So the nine, the peacemaker, um, they are and i don't mean this like male or female i don't mean like or you know however you identify i don't mean this to come across in any certain way but they are the sweeties of the enneagram okay like nines are very um sweet assuring receptive creative calm people um they are easygoing go with the flow mm. um they love life and they want to enjoy it but they also they they love cozy things they love comfort Mm -hmm. um they're the friends that will stick by you through anything they're amazing listeners usually they just kind of have this calm presence to them okay so their core desires are to be unaffected at peace and connected Um, their core fears are being cut off from love, loss and separation from someone or something and being without connection or harmony. So the opposite of eight nines hate conflict Mm -hmm. and usually are going to be the last people to address conflict. Um, and because of that, they can be kind of passive aggressive and stubborn and let you know that they're upset in different ways. Yeah. Um, but they don't actually want to confront you about it because they're terrified of losing you. Um, most nines that I know, um, my husband is a nine, and in, like, past relationships and other things, he's never been the person to, like – I mean, he once he got older and was, like, growing, he was, but it took mm-hmm. him a long time to get to a point where it was, like, I'm going to initiate this breakup or I'm going to initiate this confrontation because he just wanted to be like, maybe if I just waited out long enough and I just want to keep going with how I'm feeling, like everything's fine. I don't want to be a bother to anybody. Nines have a tendency to, they have a hard time finding their Enneagram number usually because they see themselves in every number But nines have a hard time understanding what makes them distinct because, well, what?
1: Um, I was going to say it almost sounds too like as if the nines can easily get taken advantage of too because they want to Mm -hmm. let, you know, not create the conflict like you said, or always the one that maybe if they're going to lunch and it's like, well, what do you want to have? I want this. And another person's like, no, I want this. Like, okay, we'll just go with whatever you want because they don't want the conflict.
0: Exactly. They're very much that way. And though they aren't like usually in more unhealthy seasons, they could be more of a doormat, but they do actually have like strong opinions. Mm -hmm. And getting them to share those strong opinions is kind of their life's work because they do just want to kind of like go along and be unaffected by life. Like that's in their way being strong is like if I'm unaffected by all this and I just keep. The peace, we're all good, everything will work out and be fine. Where sometimes the assertiveness into situations and relationships and circumstances that make them uncomfortable are necessary for them and for other people. I was yeah. going to tell a story about nines because, like I said, my husband is a nine and he yeah. actually shared this story with me last night. <laughs> um, and he was like, I forgot, to, like, I'd never heard this story. And he was like, This is the most nine thing you could <laughs> imagine and so I feel like if you're a nine you'll 100 percent relate to this story
1: okay
0: so my husband I think he was either like late high school or early college or mm-hmm. something I don't know what happened but he was going to get food and he was backing out of his driveway and there was this really big truck that was like um by the mailbox and usually no one is parked there and he was just kind of like backing up Putting music on in the car, and he backed up into the truck on accident. Mm. And he drove forward, went back in the house, and took a two hour nap. Oh no. Because the thought of having to deal with that situation was (laughs) so overwhelming and draining that he literally just fell asleep. And nines also have a tendency to like, be asleep to their own life, and kind I was of, waiting for
1: a note to come or
0: something. Well, and do you know what is also very nine. His his mom is also a nine, uh. and she let him sleep for the two hours, and then came into his room and was like, "Now you have to go talk to them yeah. about this." Um, but I just thought we were both dying laughing because it was just like he. <laughs> A situation in life happened, and I feel like with like eights and threes and sevens, they're very aggressive and they would have just like gone with it. A nine is very much like, I'm going to bed. I don't want to deal with this. Got it. And their life work is just to understand that their presence matters, um, Mm -hmm. that who they are is distinct and it matters, and their opinions matter, um, that who they are matters. So that's um, the nine. And those are all those are all the types.
1: Yeah, I think I'm definitely eight wing nine. Really? Yes, <laughs> yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, the like peacemaker at times. But like you said, they they also are like afraid of like the separation. So mm-hmm. and then they won't, you know, bring up the conflict. But I think that kind of works for me where I will want to go and address it right away. Like, yeah, hey, I know you're bothered or something's off. Let's talk about it because I don't want maybe the relationship to end. Yeah, like it's
0: intertwined for me. Yeah, exactly. It's a very complex number and wing to be the eight wing nine because they're polar opposites. So it's kind of like a yin and yang living within you. (laughs) Right. Right.
1: (laughs) Do you feel like that, like in your relationship, for example, since you said your husband's a nine, do you feel like that is a way that helps you to um, when there's conflict, like, you know, your numbers, you're self-aware, you obviously do this constantly to help you guys through things.
0: Mm -hmm, For sure. I think both of us, um, have learned how knowing the Enneagram in conflict has really helped us handle conflict better and also respect how we both handle conflict better, you know, of like, you know, at the end of the day, the way we approach conflict is different. And so respecting that about the other person and not making them change, but also so, like, giving them the love and support they need so that they can grow as mm-hmm. well, um, it's been so huge for us,
1: for sure. I bet. Yeah. Because, like you said, it's all self-awareness. So, once you know, like, mm-hmm. your weaknesses and desires and your, and your partners, it really helps you to, you know, find a common ground. But I definitely want to have you on again so we can kind of jump into just, like, how, how each uh, number is in a relationship. Um, yeah maybe how they can work together things like that i think it's all amazing but That's i awesome. so happy that i was able to have you on this is so much so much great information i'm hoping that everyone either takes the test or has already taken the test as they listen to this um just so they can get a better understanding of their number and of course all the ways that they can implement their number based on the background information we went over in the beginning of the episode
0: yeah for sure thank you so much for having me i'm so excited um it was so much
1: fun and yeah thanks for having me yeah and then you also mentioned too right that you're applying to grad school to become a therapist how are you working that into what's going on with Enneagram or is it something completely different yeah so um I decided
0: I've always wanted to do something in psychology whether that was like my dominant career choice or whatever I just like learning about psychology, learning about therapy, learning about how to diagnose people, like, all of that literally just fascinates me Mm -hmm. to the point where I was like, I have to go to school for this. Like, I just have to receive this information. And there are certain things that I want to use it for that probably aren't traditional. But when I think about the future, social media and books and all these things that are happening in my life are super relevant to now. And I want to ride those things out as long as I have them, but I know eventually they'll go away, um, in some capacity or I'm Mm -hmm. expecting that that's me, I guess, preparing for if it goes away.
1: Um,
0: when I think about when I'm in my forties and fifties, what I want to be doing and I want to be a therapist. Um, so -hmm. that's kind of like getting the degree now directly benefits, everything that I want to do, but it also helps me just kind of plan ahead and be ready for any next season of life.
1: Yeah, that's good. Yeah. that's really, really good that you're planning for that because I, I have a PR business and I like to always ask my clients, you know, what are you doing on your website or what are you doing outside of social media? Where if we just wake up one day and Instagram's gone yeah do you have a business sure. or are you just out of luck at that point you know you always yes. have to think outside of that because you don't you're you don't want to base your business on a platform someone else created and then if they take that away from you you have nothing exactly yeah so that's a lesson right there for everyone listening Make yes you, there you have go. Those other avenues yeah. you just got that for free <laughs> All the gems all in one place. Yeah. Um, don't forget, Christina, I am going to reach out to you because I definitely want to have you on again for relationships and just talking about how people can utilize their number into how they're connecting with people. Mm-hmm. And then correct me if I'm wrong, but your book is releasing in December.
0: Yes. So this book is called Take Care of Your Type, any Enneagram Guide to Self-Care. It's a coffee table book, but also educational slash growth, self-help type of vibe of a mm-hmm. book. I don't know how to describe it. It's yeah. really cool. There's illustrations in it, but it comes out um December 15th and it's available for pre-order on my website on Amazon, Barnes Noble, Indie awesome. Books, all of the things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I follow you on Instagram and I'm like, I love all the little illustrations. It's actually what drew me to your page. So it's, it's oh awesome. yay. Yeah, That's awesome. I love it. So as Christina said, her book is coming out December 15th. You can purchase it. ChristinaSWilcox.com and all the other places it sounds like. Mm -hmm. You can also find her on Instagram, Twitch, and YouTube at Mm ChristinaSWilcox.com. Thank you so much for joining us and I can't wait to have you back again soon. Yes, I can't wait. Thank you so much for having me.